This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello, this is Simon Mann and welcome to a very special Test Match special podcast on the occasion of Jonathan Agnew's 60th birthday. Agnew has been the BBC's cricket correspondent for almost 30 years and in that time he's described some of the most significant moments in the sport's history from World Cup finals to thrilling Ashes drama. Agnew has just about seen it all. Now, back in 2016, Jonathan was celebrating 25 years in the job and we gave him a bit of a surprise at lunch during a test at Lord's. He thought he was handing to Kevin Howells to give an update from the county championship, but instead we had a tape ready of some of Agassiz's greatest moments in the test match special commentary box. I should say... In the light of the summer of 2019, we've added a couple of extra memories into the mix for you to enjoy. He knew, this is the tragic thing about it, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He tried to step over the stumps and just flicked a bail with his, with his right he hand. He to try to do the splits over it and unfortunately uh, the inner part of his thigh must have just removed the bail. He just didn't quite get his leg over. Anyhow, he, he did very well indeed, batting 131 minutes and hit three fours. And um, then we had Lewis playing extremely well for his 47 not out. Agus, do stop it. And he was joined by De Freitas, who um, was in for 40 minutes, a useful little partnership there. Uh, They put on 35 in 40 minutes, and then he was caught. A very welcome guest in our commentary box now. We've got the cousin of the match referee. (laughs) How you doing, Jonathan? How you doing, folks? Russell Crowe, good afternoon. Great to have you here. Have Thank you ever you been much. introduced like that before? Sorry, say that again? Have you ever had that sort of introduction before? No, that was an excellent introduction. Okay. Thank you very much. I'll be working on that. Here's Haddon getting a single through the offside. He might get two, actually. Bopara rushes up from deep point and two runs it is. 146 for six. And here you are. First time to Lords or not? My first time to Lords, yes. It's something that I've been talking about with Martin for probably 20-something years or, or longer, actually, since he was the... Uh, what is it, the Junior Cricketer of the Year here at yes, one point? Yes, indeed. Mm. Fantastic. He, so he, so he's lived out the day. back here by the, by the training field. Yeah, so it's finally come true. Yeah, and, and finally come together to the ground and walk through the long room together, which is something that we've talked about, like I said, for yeah. probably nigh on 30 years. And uh, here it is. Today's the day. Fantastic. Anderson runs away from us, moves in bowls. And... Now, Hussain's said whatever he wanted to say, and Key has gone out to backward point. Oh, he hasn't finished fiddling. Vaughan's coming in. And deep mid-wicket's coming in. He's going to play the slog sweep. All three are going over, or he gets his hundred. If Dawson pitches middle and off, he's in the frame. But so Steve Waugh, because he's just you know he's going to play this stroke. Oh, this is... It's death or glory off the last ball of the third day. He's going to block it. 233 for five. Here we go. Dawson comes up and bowls to War, who drives and drives through the offside for his hundred. That is extraordinary. And Steve War, a man of little emotion, can barely restrain himself now. His helmet's off. Oh, he's waving his back. Alex Stewart shakes his hand. You could not have scripted anything more remarkable than what we have seen here this afternoon. 
possibly you have to have followed this saga very closely to fully appreciate it. But this is a man who has been largely written off through no fault of his own, only that a bit of old age is starting to catch up. And he has played the most extraordinary innings here this afternoon, not simply for himself, but for his team. And that's the reception as he walks off. 102 not out. And he's coming back tomorrow for some more. So we're at T, 2.21 for seven. And uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome Hugh Grant to the box. Oh, thank you very Good much. Good to see you, Hugh. Yeah. We, we've seen you chewing your fingernails a, a bit over the last uh, last couple of days. Yeah, I'm suffering, I think, more than anyone in the whole crowd. I can barely speak. It's hell. Really I was just bad. saying, yeah, you spend all this money on tickets and, in fact, then put yourself through two days of unmitigated misery. Yeah. How do you feel at the moment? Well, one tiny millifraction less frightened than I was ten minutes ago, but uh, I, it looks like an awful lot of overs. Uh, Apparently they can, you can go on until it's dark. Oh, we they? can. Yeah. Oh, yes, we'll keep, keep plugging away. Yeah. Was there a moment I felt when Peterson got his 100 that there just seemed to be a little bit of a release of that pressure, almost like just taking a bit of the top of the steam cooker, just, just a little bit? Yeah, I think there was a lot of uh, very frightened and semi-drunk people who needed to let off some steam then. And uh, I know I was one of them. And it was, uh, yeah, very, it was amazing. It was amazing. I, you know, I worship him now. In fact, I'm now going to dye my hair. I have to be honest, the other day I was sitting here, I just, I, I'd got the lyrics for one of your songs, which I'm not going to talk, you know, go into, right, except I was, I was reading it off the screen mm -hmm. quite loudly. I think I was entertaining Malcolm, saying, cool, look what we got on the programme on Saturday, look at this. So I was reading out it was the title of this song, if, if your, your followers will know, quite loudly, mm -hmm. when to my absolute horror, I looked just here to my left, mm -hmm. I was three yards away, and there was a lovely woman bearing a cake. Oh, no. And she said, Agus, I've brought this for you. <gasps> and she heard me saying the most appalling language. Oh, no. And like, it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> that is tru truly awful. Talking of appalling language, I think we should be able to hear more of the sledging. Ah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? I think that's how you're going to get more young people into cricket. We've got to get some more microphones down on those wickets. Here's Broad coming in and bowling to Voges. Oh, he's brilliantly caught! Brilliantly caught! That is an outrageous catch by Ben Stokes. <laughs> that was gone. It was past him. And he flung himself backwards and to his right. You won't see a better catch. I'm sorry. That You can have your Andrew Strauss here in 2005. That beats it. That beats that catch. That was quicker. It was. It had gone. He had no time to see that. Oh. Well, what a catch. What a catch. What a delivery, first of all. And look at Stuart Broad's face. He's run up to Ben Stokes with his hands over his mouth, and he can't believe he's caught it. It was, it was, it was a couple of feet past him. It's outrageous. Yeah, that, that was is. an outrageous catch. I don't oh, know how he called Thank that. you, Simon, very much. Indeed, in the chairman's office. What a wonderful view he has. I'm amazing it's any work done at all here. Uh, the third floor up of the pavilion used to be about the area of the old visitors' dressing rooms up here. Here I am, closeted away uh, with the Prime Minister, David Cameron. Lovely to see you. The last time you were on, of course, you were leader of the opposition, and life is easy. Or well, easier. 
Well, I remember we had a good uh, chat at Lords um, in your. Uh, I was in the TMS studio that time. We, so we got the cake. We got Jeffrey boycott. We got the full package. We thought we'd spare Jeffrey boycott. I feel slightly robbed this time. Um, but anyways, it's lovely to be here for a for an afternoon of, of uh, enjoyable cricket. Great. And uh, you, you're quite happy to come. You're able to come. It's, it's not a problem for you to come. Uh, lots of people always say, "What is the Prime Minister doing? Should we leave in the country uh, rather than watching cricket at the Oval?" Well, I don't. I hope no one begrudge an afternoon's um, cricket, particularly when England are, are playing so well. I had a busy day today. I've uh, had the Kevin Peterson needs a new bat rubber on his handle. Uh, and as we know, all amateurs will know, it's not easy to do that. You've got to roll it on down the stick and make sure there's all in, in place and uh, no floppy stuff on the end of the handle or anything like that. He can't have that. So he, it's, it's a bit of a procedure. And uh, I thought he did it very well, actually. Michael, Vaughan's beside me. It's, it's not easy putting a rubber on, is it? No, it's not. I was never good at that. 2 10 for 2. In comes Fernando. Bowls, and that's uh, turned away to backward square leg. And they'll come back for two. <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> Shall we move on? <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> Hello, Henry. <laughs> played well, Kate, hasn't he? He has played well. You really get to feel uh, that you're amongst the atmosphere and amongst the crowd. It's been pretty quiet walking around, I must say. A lot of people, I think, have rather given up uh, what's going on. But Roy Hodgson hasn't. You haven't given up, have you, Roy? I mean, you've, you've seen adversity before. Oh, that's one of what you might be saying if you were... If you're Randy Flower, if you're the England... Do you, want to, do you want to switch sports? Do you want to go in there now and try and G them up? I think it must be very difficult. I think uh, two days virtually in the field like they've had to do batting uh, on such a good wicket as South Africans have been able to do. I feel really sorry for the bowlers and the fielders. It's been a thankless task and I suppose now they're going to have to face quite a difficult period themselves because they've got such a commanding lead, the South Africans. It's not going to be easy for the English batsmen despite the fact the wicket is playing quite quite nice. It looks as though the uh, um, officials... I'm getting some news, Jim. Apparently the umpires are going to come out and take the bails off. Right. And that is going to be the moment that this game is over and England win the Ashes. No one in the crowd actually knows what's going on here. There's been no uh, public address announcement about this. We've just got uh, inside word up here. This is what's going to happen. They are inspecting for light. They're really just going through the motions here. The umpires are going to their respective ends. And in the most extraordinary manner, the bales are removed by umpire Bowden. He throws one in the air. And England have won the Ashes. Finally, in the most bizarre ending, I'll let the crowd speak for themselves. It's come to this. Here's the last ball of the World Cup final. Archer bowls it, it's clipped away into the leg side. They're going to come back for the second. The throw is picked up, they throw to the wicket keeper's end. He's yeah! run out, is he? I think he's run out. England think he's run out. England are convinced he's been run out. They're celebrating. It was thrown to the right end, to Butler's end. We had to work hard to take those bails off. England are sure they've got him. Through a tie in the tiebreaker. But it's England's game on more boundaries in the match. New Zealand looked devastated. Guptill's on his haunches. I think he knows... I think he knows, as England do. Here's the replay. Wait for the cheer. We're watching Butler gather the ball. He's got a bit of work to do to take it to the stumps. Wait now, listen. 
England have won the World Cup. 3.58 for nine. Stokes on strike. England need one to win. And in comes Pat Cummins from the far end. He bowls to Stokes, who hammers it for four! And stands there with the back raised. I can't believe we've seen that. That is the most extraordinary innings ever, ever been played by an Englishman. He punches the air, his helmet's off. He was hit on that helmet this morning. Bits flew off all over the place. And he's slumped to his knees. Batting for 30, 35. 30, 35 minutes, hit a four over the week keepers. Angus, <laughs> for goodness sake, stop it. There's Lawrence, who had a hard play. well. Caught by Haynes or Patterson for two, and there were 54 extras, and England were all out for 419. I've stopped laughing now. There we go, Agus. Just a few highlights of your 300 tests and 20, 25 years as a correspondent. Now, um, you can't interview yourself, well, you'd probably like to, I don't know. So, we managed to find someone who might just be able to do the job. And you're a liar as well, because you said you weren't <laughs> going to be around. I did say that. I, 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 yes, I, I had to be very cautious and hold my mouth, actually. But I'm delighted to be here, because, you know, <laughs> as you know, apart from being a mate of yours, I'm also a great fan of yours. And we thought it would be rather nice to sort of do a little quick trawl through your, your life and your work You've with TMA. you completely stitched me up. <laughs> no, they all have. I just can't, I can't believe... Oh, well, dear. you deserve it. I mean, you do, you, yes, you do. 25 years. Easiest job in the world. No, well, uh, the most enjoyable job in the world. Yes. Maybe not the easiest job in the world, that is for sure. The special gift for doing radio, and you have it. That, that, at least the first question, I mean, did you always have it from the very beginning? Were you settled here? Did you immediately feel, yeah, I'm at home? Well, I think I did, because I hadn't really listened to the programme when I was playing cricket. And I think if, if I had done, and if I uh, had been a, a proper broadcaster, I think <laughs> I would have been very anxious about suddenly coming into Test Match Special. But as it happened, I hadn't really heard it. I heard it as a kid, mm -hmm. when my dad was, um, was a farmer and he had the radio on when he was gathering in the grain and so on. But um, there was then that big 15-year gap, really, of not hearing Jonas very much or John Arlott or mm. anything. I can't believe you're sitting here, Michael, by the way, and <laughs> asking me questions. It's ridiculous. But um, so therefore, I think, you know, I was just really lucky to go in from a much more relaxed position than, than I being, would have been otherwise. Being very relaxed about it all and the lovely sort of rhythm and sense of timing what you do. But let's go back to the days when you were a player. You left playing cricket when you were 30. Does that denote a certain disenchantment with the game? I'd had enough. I, I, yeah, I'd had enough standing at long legs. <laughs> because I think, Travis Michael, and I see the people playing now, 
if you know you're not going to play for England again, and my English career was a, was a disaster, really. You know, look at my... I mean, the batting average and the bowling average are the wrong way round. <laughs> if I had a, had a batting average of 90 in Test cricket and a bowling average... But anyway, so I think... But once you've, once you've played for England and you know it's not going to happen again, then it, it's, it's, it's time to go, I think. Mm. You know, if you, if you are very competitive, and I am very competitive, then... I, I didn't see more years standing at Grace Road admiring the rose bushes at Fine Lake. So it was, it was time to move on. And I was very lucky that this job came up. The Today newspaper, which you'd remember. Yes, you I'm were sure working Eddie Shot, yes. Of course. The old the first colour paper. That's right. Everything was blue. <laughs> <laughs> but they were brilliant because they sent me off, this is when I was still playing, but they sent me off for some winters to do, oh, I don't know, skiing, Aussie rules, rugby, surfing, everything, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, and say so go away and write about it, mm. which is a, a, a really good experience. Of learning your trade. Absolutely. And the first oh. of these 300 tests was working for them, actually, in Australia. Uh-huh. So, so that, without them and the people that work there, I, I wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you because that, that cutting edge of a tabloid newspaper was really important. Yeah, but when you came into TMS, I mean, it was full of uh, old pros. Yes. I mean, we've been around for an age and more. How did they greet you? What was it like? Was it sticky to begin with? No, no, it wasn't. Because, uh, because uh, my first memory is walking to the old box at Heading, which you would know so well, mm. down there in the old, um, the old football stand. Rickety old place, wasn't it? Awful. Awful place. Yeah. It was just falling apart for years. But anyway, we're not there anymore. But my first glimpse was opening the door. Well, actually, I'll go back one step. I saw Blowers, who was, who was actually going to work for Sky then. Mm-hmm. He, so he was going, I was coming. And Blowers said, well, one piece of advice to you, Aggers, is absolutely be yourself. Don't try and be anybody else, because radio will show you up. Mm, be yourself. And so I waved Henry off uh, to go and start his career at Sky, and I walked into the comedy box, and there was this this old old boy, stooped over a a, a sort of pile of, of cake boxes, <laughs> and it was Jonas, <laughs> and he said, oh, "You must be Aggers," and and that was it. And yes. and Peter Baxter very wisely, because I hadn't commentated before on anything. Um, decided that I'd be a, an expert summariser for that first year, which is a joke, because the other two expert summarisers were Fred Truman and Trevor Bailey, mm. <laughs> and then me. So anyway, but the point being that I would sit beside Jonners uh, and watch and learn. And, and he and I did hit it off. I mean, we're, you did. You were I, like a comedy act, actually. Well, it, it's, it's like... It was wonderful. The Western brothers. Do you think, it was rather stylish, you know. Do you think so? <laughs> My brother and I. Don't do you, do you think that there is often a good gap in generations though yes. with, with, with grandparents and grandchildren Absolutely. are often even closer maybe than parents and yes. children sometimes yeah. and, and he was like a granddad to me really <laughs> I mean he was because the age difference just the way he looked after me yes. and we just got on incredibly well and of course the, the leg over that we heard there well I mean I have to tell you the only thing that would get me back on to, 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 to tell it to radio in fact to do my second this is your life, or it's called Desert Island. This will be to actually choose. That's the funniest broadcast I've ever heard in my life. Would you have it on? Oh, would I ever have it on? I mean, it is priceless. And no matter how many times you see it or hear it, rather, it is wonderful. It is so funny. Yeah, and it has been seen once, has it? And that was the only time I was ever paid for it. <laughs> I got fifty quid because it turned up on Auntie's bloomers. Do you remember that Terry Hogan used to do? That, yeah. Well, otherwise, yeah. it's been one of the most uh, I love extraordinary replay things. They play this played everywhere. Man. I love the thought of, of people. Driving along and crashing into each other. And and funny enough, see, Jonas, when it happened, was really quite cross. And he stomped off at the Oval. It was my first year. And he he stomped off into the night 
shaking his head, and I remember he, he, he was very upset at home. And the next well, morning... he'd already gone too far. He'd already gone too far. He'd yes, lost it, yes, unprofessional, yes. and it hadn't Not been BBC very funny. And that. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, he was really worried about it. Mm. The next day, we don't get them now, it's all emails, isn't it, and so on, but there was this mountain of letters. And I was reasonably confident, because I'd heard it being played on the Today programme, so I thought, actually, this is funny, you know. So I waited for the old boy to come in, and he started picking through these letters. He still wasn't talking to me. And he got to one from Ronnie Corbett's wife. So she opened up. Yes. And she had been one of these people who was stuck in the Dartford Tunnel or something laughing, you know. And so immediately his mood lifted. And I took him down to the engineer to come, Brian, we've got to come and have a listen to this. And we sat there and, and listened to it. Of course, he had tears pouring down his face. I mean, he, he loved it after that. But it was, it was, it was a classic. But, of course, he then wouldn't, he then wouldn't work with me anymore. He, he said, if, if we look at each other like you and I are now, we, it would be hopeless. And he was right, really. We'd just end up corpsing. Anyway. We had a couple of goes, but we just sort of broke into silly laughter, really. But speaking so about anymore. relationships, I mean, that was a very, as you've said, it was a grandfather-son sort of grandson relationship. How would you... I want you to sort of explain your relationship with Jeffrey Boycott. I must, I must explore this because this is something phenomenal. I mean, you're keeping him in work, you know. I mean, I know, I know. People always, people always wonder, don't they? I mean, I, I suspect because on on the radio, it, 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 yeah, it is, it is a bit, um, it's a bit bickery, isn't it? I mean, it can be a bit edgy, I suppose. Mm. But I've. I, I'm with you, I think. I mean, I, I do have a sort of a, a genuine affection for Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, is it? It's not, no. <laughs> I've tried for since I was 16. I know, and you've known him considerably longer than I have. No, but I mean, we are, we are really good mates, and like you are. I mean, you, you can't help but admire him for a start. Mm-hmm. Um, he reads again well. Yes, he does. Yeah. I think of all, of all the summarisers, the experts I've worked mm-hmm. with, he, he is, he's the most pithy. He'll mm-hmm. put, particularly batsmen, I mean, bowlers obviously not quite his thing, but particularly mm-hmm. batting, he will... He will highlight a weakness, particularly because that's his, his strength, isn't it? Absolutely. Te- technical weakness. Mm. Or, uh, he will highlight that within just a few minutes. Mm. Um, and, and, and I really admire that. He's never late. He's always got something to say. Mm. Um, so I, I love Jeffrey. When he was ill, I mean, you, you'd go and see him, I'd go mm. and see him. And he wasn't, he was, he was in a bad state. That was the most awful illness he had. Yeah, he was. And, mm. and for him to, well, it's kind of typical of him, really, that he's, that he's fought it off. It, yeah. but, you know, you get people in. And when I feel Jeffrey sit down beside me, you know you're going to have you know, you're going to have some fun. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you started as an ex-pro, the problem always is, if you're going to be honest in your commentary, that you have to actually criticise at times some mm. pros, and some are very good at that and get into it straight away. Uh, others back off, and there's nothing worse than listening at home and feeling he's backing off this. And you can't accuse you of doing that, nor Jeffrey doing that. I mean, you've always been very honest in your opinion, and sometimes I suppose it might have cost you a friendship. I mean, there's a famous incident with your commentary about Michael Atherton on yes. the Dustin and Pocky thing. You didn't hold back there at all. You said you thought he should be sad. Uh, when you did that, did you understand the consequences might, might be losing a friend? It's funny that, because Mike and I uh, have still never talked about that. Really? No. You've never said that? That was, what, 94, 95? Yeah. It's a long time. And we were perfectly good mates, and we chat and we talk, but, yeah. but we've never talked about that. Really? Yeah. And it was, it was here. It and it was, I think that obviously, and then with the, the KP business, lastly, has been the most difficult times doing this job because you do, you do, you do have to be honest. You might be wrong, yes, but you've got to be honest. Yes, and the, the Mike one was, was was really hard you know, because we'd had the year before 
a lot of ball tampering issues with Pakistan and so on. I mean, it seemed to be, well, it's all right for us to pile into the Pakistani fast bowlers and talk about it. But actually, you know, when, when one of our own appears to be ball tampering, for some reason we shouldn't talk about it. Yes. And I thought that was wrong. And it was interesting how actually the broadsheets sided entirely with him, whereas the tabloid newspapers rather sided with my argument. Mm. It? But it was, it, was, it was really unpleasant, really unpleasant. And I remember you, you, came, up and in, you came up to interview me, didn't you? I did. In, uh, for the Telegraph. That's right. Um, and that was, in a way, a bit of a turning of the tide, because I think you were, you were, whether you thought I was right or not, I don't think it matters, but I think you felt that I, should, I was right to say it, whereas others ran a very stiff campaign, some of these papers, actually to get me out of the job. Because <laughs> they argued that BBC commentator correspondents shouldn't make comment like that. Yes. You know, would, would the political correspondent of the time demand for the Prime Minister to be sacked? They sort mm. of likened it like that, mm. which, which, which made it all a bit complicated. Mm. But, but I think, yeah, well, you're, you're popping up to see me there. Sort of just turn the tide a little bit, actually. Oh, it's good. Mm. Good news. But it's funny how we've never... We've, we've never, <laughs> never talked about it to Mike. That's, that's interesting. It sort of looks there like a shadow in a cross. It, it does. Yeah, in yeah a sense. it does. Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder what he would have written now, by the way. If he'd yeah, been yes, watching yes, that. Well, I, again, he's a very honest journalist. He is, isn't absolutely. Uh, so I think he might have actually signed it with yeah. you. I, I take the view, Michael, and you know this, you've covered sport for years, that whatever happens uh, on the field is not actually your, it's not your doing. It's not your fault. Like Stuart Broad not walking at Headingley mm. um, at, at Trent Bridge, who again is really, you know, their family is very close friends of mine. Mm. I walk my dogs with Stuart. And for people sometimes to write stuff about, oh, journalists are too close to players, well, hang on a minute, maybe you do get close to the players, mm. but you've still got to do your job. I want my dogs with Stuart, but I, sa- I, I said, I'm sorry, you can't behave like that. That's cheating. You shouldn't do that. Yes. So you, you do have to do your job as well as maintain relationships in the Live game. And sometimes too. they do sustain. Yeah. What about television? You've never been seduced by it, have you? You've been offered. Michael, I've got a great face for radio. <laughs> and the, the man who says that is Ian Botham next door. No, <clears> I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't do television, I don't think. Why would that be? Because it's just a completely different... I mean, I think blowers would accept that... that television wasn't him either i think radio you you've got you're looking out here through our magnificent window and 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 beyond the stands and out and and almost as far as heathrow or the city or whatever where on telly you've got that little monitor yes and and you've got the man in your ear which i also find very difficult too whereas this you this you can just bring people with you i think you communicate so much more on radio than you can on television you Mm. can have fun with people you can tease people a bit Mm. Um, I love it when we're abroad and it's in the middle of the night and you just think of the people lying in bed, they've got their, their headphones on, their, you know, and, and you're, you're in there, you're almost sort of part, you're part of their, you're right in their brains, you mm. know, and that's, yeah, it's a real privilege to do that, of course, but, but it's, it's great fun to do it as mm. well, and I love, you know, I love teasing teasing people and you can, you can tease the listeners as well as you tease the people that you're working with can't you and that's, that's all part of it I just don't think TV's it's not as relaxed Got as that, that. No, well, I mean, I see a point absolutely uh, but I think that there's always that seduction of becoming that TV face isn't there there's always oh yeah that, but it's so nice not to have that isn't it I was talking to these two young guys actors yesterday who because they made up differently when they were filming they can almost wander around incognito I'd, I'd hate to be someone like Ian Botham whilst he's scurrying in through the gates here yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, people descending on him and so on, whereas a radio man can mm. just wander through unnoticed, which, mm. which is great. OK, now, th- just think of the, of the great moments. I know that you the, in, the, in the preamble to this, there was a yes. sort of a litany of stuff there. Just to bring back the memories when you hear things well, like that. Well, that's what I want to ask you. I mean, when, when you sort of think back, and as you do, you lie there at night sort of trying to get to sleep, or you think back over your career, or, who have been the truly great players that you've seen, the guys that really moved you, that you thought, that is exceptional? 
Yeah. Oh, Shane Warne would be number one, I think. Yeah. And I love seeing him around. Yeah. Because, I mean, apart from physically, he hasn't changed at all, has he? <laughs> He's still the same bloke. He's got more hair. <laughs> he has. But uh, I love seeing Shane. But I love, I mean, to watch, to commentate on him bowling, uh, this, uh, A, amazing bowler, mm. brilliant bowler, but also this sort of pantomime dame figure. Yes. To bring the colour to, the, you, as a commentator, you want something like that. Yes. You, do, you don't just want somebody running in and, and doing, or, or just batting mechanically. You know, for a radio commentator, you... you, you you, you, you want the rest of it. Yes. That colour. And, and I thought Shane was, gave you that in spades. Yeah, he was sure he was wasn't he? he yeah. was, I mean, a great Absolutely. player. I said, Dolko, I love watching bat, of course, but then I, he, he just sort of batted, you know, beautifully, but I never got necessarily terribly excited about no. watching Tendulkar. I'd rather watch Adam Gilchrist, who kind of changed wicket-keeping and batting when he was going. And I know that, that, that sort of England supporters would go, oh, Steve Waugh. But funnily enough, that commentary that they played was not on BBC, that was on the ABC. Um, and we, we got it, but I was on with Kerry O'Keefe, who also was a wonderful person to listen to. But to, for an Englishman to broadcast on such a significant moment as that, I thought was, an, was, was just wonderful, because you, know, you do go onto these radio stations as a guest, really, and sometimes it's a bit, OK, I feel part of the setup now, I've done it for so long, but you do, you do have to sort of... People, I think, Australian listeners might listen to this, this pom on for a while and wonder if you cut you them off. You start with a disadvantage. Yeah, I think you do. You, you've got to win them over, haven't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. But that, to be able to do that, because everything was against Steve at the time, really, and they were trying to get him out, and, and that, that was such a brave innings. Mm. And I just felt that almost anybody else would just have just patted the ball away and they would have come back for the next day about 93 not out and then got their 100. Not him. Not him. <laughs> the, the last ball of the day. I mean, it was... That, that, I think, was the most excited I've ever been and it was a Plymouth Australian batsman <laughs> scoring 100 <laughs> against Australia. But, uh, but, I, but I think it was because the Ashes in 2005 was amazing and the, the scene... Heard the oval was one that could never forget anybody that was there. No, never forget absolutely. it, and especially if you had a bit of height and you could see beyond the oval and look at the people in the windows and, and on the roofs and the balconies and chimney pots and so on. Um, and, and Leslie Garrett singing and Hugh Grant in the box, but but we, it was a bit of an anticlimax the way that it happened. The bus was great though. That was the next day to be on that was a again a ridiculous <laughs> privilege. It was. It was only I mean it was only me and a guy from Sky with any journos on it. Yeah. And, and dear old Andrew Flintoff giving his indecipherable interview at the front. I mean, thing, things like that. I mean, the more you think about it, Mike, I mean, these things are lovely to be ambushed, but you kind of wish you'd had <laughs> ten minutes to think of these, to think of these wonderful well, things. What about the, the other aspect of your job here, which is the interviews that you do with mm. uh, famous personalities or whatever? I, I, I did a few of them, and, and I know that, you know, it's, it sounds a wonderful job, but it can actually be disastrous at times. It What's can. the biggest disaster you've had? <laughs> Why are they laughing? <laughs> you know I can't answer that. <laughs> well, give us a hint. Male or female? It's male. Yeah. The only hint I'll give... Part of a famous acting family. That's as far as it's going to go. <laughs> because I feel embarrassed just in case he's listening. If I, and I do say it to my guests now. <laughs> if I ever ask you what do you think of the Euro, it means we're struggling. Because that was the last question that I said to this... Yeah. Acting, uh, yes, great dynasty mm -hmm. individual. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember the door burst open and the producer came rushing because he knew I, I must have asked him 300 questions. <laughs> nothing came back nothing, at all. Nothing, nothing. And that was, uh, that was literally the last, qu that was the last thing I could think of asking him. I know, it's terrible. And it? It, it, it dented my confidence for a while. And, and um, 
I, I didn't do the next couple. And the, Peter Baxter got hold of me and said, this is ridiculous. You've got to get back on the horse. Yeah. Choose who you want. Hmm. And so I went for Stephen Fry. <laughs> <laughs> Asked him about three questions in 40 minutes. The gorgeous But you've helped me. So you're hiding your light under your bush. You've helped me with that. I've, I've come to you for help on these interviews, and you've been, you've been kind enough to do it. Because mm-hmm. I suppose there is a sort of a technique to doing it, but, but you, are, you are alone. I mean, you are alone in this box mm-hmm. with nowhere to go. You can't go to the traffic news or, or a weather forecast. No. And, and you are totally in the hands of of that person who comes in. But most people, they're just thrilled to be here. I think you should have an ejector seat, actually. That's well, why I always thought of it. I just pressed the button, and off they went, you know. Thank you and goodbye. But Don't it's a come challenge. Back. I mean, you, you, it, well, it, it's, it's, it's great it's, to talk to people. Yeah, absolutely. But when, when the other person... It's a two-way stress in an interview. If the other person can't be bothered, you've had it. Yeah. You know, I sat there many times. And, geez, I know. What, what am I doing? But here? often, don't you find, when, you, when your mind has gone blank, it's happened a few times, you think, what was I going to ask? Thank goodness the person that you're interviewing has just giving you an extra sentence or two <laughs> so it's come back again I've, I've been in that situation times where there's just nothing there and you think if they stop now I don't know what I'm going to but they've just given you another couple of sentences and something comes back by the way have you taken my name off your top of your phone oh gosh I know it's terrible I sort of bang the phone in my pocket and it always it's rings his number always rings he, me you must have about 75 calls from me you must think I'm stalking yeah, I well, you no, I just like I thought, that's what you see now <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's a fair bet, let me tell you. Now, the, the, the other thing, to, of course, the opposite to, to what we've been talking about is that are the ones that you really look forward to. Now, Stephen Fry apart, who's just a fascinating man, yes. a wonderful talker about any subject you care to mention, uh, and a few you didn't mention it too. But, I mean, from that point of view, who have been the ones that you most enjoyed then? Well, the one I, that I want to do more than is Alex Ferguson. Ah, oh, yes, that would be a good one. love to do yeah. sort of talk to you. Have you interviewed Alex? No, Ferguson? never. I'd, I'd love to do that, only because I suppose of the reputation that, that comes with him, but also I mean, the, the extraordinary career that he's, he's managed. I mean, he, he has managed somehow to keep a sporting team evolving, which has never really happened in cricket, has it? You look at the Great West Indies team, the Great Australian team and so on, they've only had a shelf life of 10 years. So anyway, I'd like to... I'll say one I really enjoyed, and, and in a way it really brought home a lesson to me as well. We've only, we've only recorded a very few of these, as in, you know, on tape beforehand. One was Elton John. And I'd, for a start, I, I, I knew, he knew he knew a bit about cricket. And that's all you ever ask from, from these people, isn't it? They come yeah. with a bit of cricket and yeah. off you go. And it's you an love excuse, the game. It's an excuse to get them yeah. on. Can't play. So first of all, I turned up and we were, we were at Battersea and uh, his sort of advisor said, do you want to interview Elton in his uh, sort of lorry or on his piano stool? And so I went in and I thought, I better have a look at his lorry. And it was like, like a Hilton. <laughs> It was extraordinary, <laughs> massive bed, a huge screen and everything else. And I said, I think I'll do it on the piano stool. So he got his piano stool, and sure enough, Elton John turned up. And first of all, he started talking to me about that amazing one-day international yesterday between West Indies and Zimbabwe. Did you see it? And I said, no. And no, I didn't. And he was talking about these fast bowlers he'd seen and so on, and talked about playing here at Lords and so on. So I first, you know, his cricket knowledge really, really gripped me, actually, the mm. fact that he, he was. Mm. But what, the lesson that I learned was he was about to do a concert and how many times... I mean, do you know the words to your song by Elton John? I mean, we've all had a bit of a drunken go, no, haven't we? You, no. don't know, you don't know the words? I know, I know, I know. I, you know the not song. all of them, I know the song. You, 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 you kick it off. Yeah. Right, well, I think I would know most of the words to your song. Most famous he had three screens up yes. from his view, yeah. of oh. his, from his piano stool, yeah. of the lyrics to your song. He's going to obviously sing that first. And I thought, do you know, how professional is that? If there are times when you're feeling a bit that you, uh, you know... You can't really be bothered to do a bit of preparation or something. Yeah. 
there's him, and he's gone to that length. Bing Crosby had the cue board up for White Christmas. You thought he might have known that. But that's it. We have to go now because the players are. You are an old rogue. No, I've been completely stitched by everybody. I really much enjoyed that. And the nice thing about you, I think, from one professional to another, is you never lost your sense of wonder about this game. And you report the game and play wonderfully well. Best so, in the world. So well, well, keep 25 going. years, keep on going. Michael, you've done me there, <laughs> and you've all done me. Here. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Mike. Top man. We got some lunch or what? Time for lunch? Good lad. Well, what a great treat it was to have Sir Michael Parkinson surprising Aggers four years ago. Jonathan had been expecting to be travelling home from Sri Lanka for this special birthday, but of course England's tour, like so much else, was postponed. Rest assured, though, once the cricket returns, Aggers will be charging in with the same enthusiasm as when he started with Test Match Special all those years ago. From everybody at the programme at Test Match Special, a very happy birthday, Aggers. Hello Aggers, Tuffers here. I hear it's a very special birthday uh, for you on Saturday. Uh, It might even be your high score. Uh, First class, of course. Uh, Have a great time. Love to all. 60? Nah, he's uh, he's 65. He's got... um, He can't be 60. He can't be 60. He's 60. I'm sure I had a, a vino with him in South Africa when he was 60. Hey Aggers, it's Ebbs. Wanted to send a big message uh, to say happy birthday. Heard it was your 40th. Uh, hold on, wait. Let me just check that. Oh, no, 50. Oh, wow, no. 60th. 60th, you old dog. All right, well done. Proud of you. Keep it up. Uh, but on a serious note, and honestly, sending so much love. Uh, so pleased. Big milestone. Hope you celebrate well and give a big kiss to Emma. I miss you guys so much and cannot wait to see you as soon as we can. Um, well, it up. Oh, hello. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, Agus, yeah, happy birthday, yeah. I believe there's a very special day, 60th on Saturday. Um, many happy returns. I hope you're celebrating in fine vino fashion. I'm sure you are. Um, have a great day. You and Emma, happy birthday. Ta-ra. In the 20s, look at that. Little bit of a curl on the top of the head. Gorgeous, wasn't it? Oh, fresh-faced youngster. And into your 40s. Little bit of a receiver going on, but still quite smart. But like any fine wine, getting better with age into your 60s. So happy birthday, Aggers. Have a brilliant day. Hey, Aggers. Happy birthday to you. Happy 60th. I was looking up, of course, what 60th anniversary is. And it is, of course, the anniversary of your birth. And so it should be diamonds. Have a lovely day and lots of love to both you and Emma. So 69 Aggers, more than you managed in 235 of your 237 first class innings from square leg. Hope you're coping with the isolation in Leicestershire. Mind you, you're used to it in the wilds of the beaver. So happy birthday. Hello Aggers, happy birthday from me. Hope you're having a wonderful day. There's a special birthday treat. I've hacked into the Crick Info database and given you a tenfer from the 1984 Oval Test against West Indies. You even got Viv out this time. Uh, there you go, ten for 46 from a marathon 35 over spell. Well bowled and happy birthday. Have a wonderful day. Really missing you hugely. Massive love to Emma. Have a super time and let's hope we can get a drink as soon as possible. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Agnes. Happy birthday to you. Stay.
stay safe, love to all. Happy birthday, mate. Alan Shearer and Ian Wright are in my kitchen. Mm. What's going on here? The all-new Match of the Day Top 10 podcast, answering a huge football question every week. This has not been easy, has it? Like the Top 10 Premier League strikers. Personally, I think it's really hard to have Shearer anywhere near the Top 10. (laughs) The Match of the Day Top 10 podcast. Only available on BBC Sounds.